today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Well, we've had our own problems here in Canada with the vaccine rollout and uh, in dealing with some of the pharmaceutical companies that are developing the vaccines. Uh, but it seems to pale in comparison to what some South American countries rather, are going through these last couple of days. Uh, accusations of, uh, of vaccine blackmail and so many different things are being used right now because of some of the conditions that Pfizer in particular is asking of these countries. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Madeline Davies, who is the Chief Global Health Investigations Correspondent for Stat News. Uh, Madeline, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could be with us today. Good morning, Bill. Great to be here. Well, we're learning an awful lot about protocols and how these things work. I mean, uh, about how governments deal with with the drug companies that are developing things of this nature. Uh, and you know, I, I understand that there's confidentiality agreements and things like that. But uh, there's a, a great deal of concern now about the things that these companies are asking of governments. Uh, maybe you could shed some light on exactly how this is supposed to work. Yeah, sure. So. We started looking at where the global supply of vaccines were going, um, and it seemed that the rich countries in the world, Canada included, had bought up more than half of the world's supply, despite the fact that um, these rich countries are only home to about 12%, 16%, sorry, of the world's population. So we started trying to talk to government officials in middle and low-income countries about how they felt negotiations were going and what it was like to operate in this global market with everyone competing with one another for vaccines. And one official that I spoke to in a Latin American country, and I can't name it, I'm afraid, because it signed a confidentiality agreement with mm-hmm. Pfizer, said of all the companies, Pfizer was the most difficult company to work with, that the government felt bullied by it and held to ransom. Those were his own words during these negotiations. And they said that Pfizer was the first company they negotiated with back in June And at that point, Pfizer's vaccine hadn't shown to be efficacious. It hadn't been approved yet. And the mRNA technology was quite new. Yet their impression was that Pfizer had this good cop, bad cop negotiating team. And the bad cop kept telling them, why are you only buying this number of doses? People will die because of you. You should buy more. And the government found that quite strange. Fast forward to October, November, and the country was desperately trying to get a deal signed with Pfizer so that it could receive vaccines. More and more people were catching coronavirus. But they said Pfizer made demands in negotiations that went way beyond the demands of other companies. So all the vaccine manufacturers, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, etc., um, asked for liability waived, which would mean that in the extremely, extremely rare event that there are adverse effects from the vaccine, and someone sues the company for that, it would mean the government rather than than the company Pfizer or the other vaccine manufacturer would pay those legal costs. And that's fairly typical and is born out of the philosophy that vaccines are very safe, they protect everyone in society. So the government on behalf of society should bear the cost of protecting and compensating the very, very, very small number of people that might suffer an adverse effect. But what the government official said is that Pfizer wouldn't agree to just this this basic wave liability. It wasn't happy with the standard indemnity offered, uh, as all as all other companies had asked for. It wanted more. The government wanted Pfizer to take responsibility and pay compensation and legal costs if it was found that its vaccines had been poorly manufactured, if there were problems in Pfizer's factories if there are any problems in transporting the vaccines at Pfizer's end, say if their ultra-cold freezers broke down, or if, say, Pfizer made a mistake and sent the wrong vaccine. But Pfizer said 
no, it wanted almost blanket indemnity for every step of its vaccine manufacture chain. And um, a, a U.S. NGO, Knowledge Ecology International, has just managed to get managed to get an unredacted Pfizer contract with the Dominican Republic. So for the first time, we can see the exact wording of this indemnity that Pfizer asked for. And it really does cover everything. So it means that if there is an adverse effect from the vaccine and somebody sues Pfizer, the Dominican Republic will pay. But it covers everything right from the development of the vaccine, the clinical research, the testing, the storage, the packaging. So these things that normally Pfizer would be responsible for, for paying the costs for, the Dominican government is the Dominican Republic, excuse me, government is now paying costs for. And we started to work with journalists in Argentina and Brazil. And when we spoke to them, they said that on top of this extra, extra immunity that Pfizer wanted, it even asked them to put up sovereign assets. So that could be the country's federal bank reserves, embassy buildings, military bases. It asked for those things to be put up as a guarantee against the cost of future legal cases. So Argentina and Brazil said, you know, no way, we can't agree to that. But Pfizer has struck a deal with nine other countries across Latin America. We know the deal. We know the details of the deal with the Dominican Republic because this this contract has been made public. But we don't know the details of the other deals. So it could be that they've also been forced to to agree to these terms, which lawyers say are not typical, not reasonable, and do amount to an abuse of power. Now, as you mentioned, though, Madeline, the the indemnity clause is not unusual in situations like this, but because of the confidentiality with most of these agreements, uh, what they're doing to North America, are are they doing to European countries and North American countries too? I mean, because our our government in Canada is not being very transparent about, you know, the deal that they've signed here uh, and and what the clauses are. We don't know much about the American situation either. Uh, But it sounds as if this is above and beyond. In other words, I guess there's always going to be some sort of indemnity uh, with all of the drug makers in situations like this. But why is Pfizer really turning the screws on the South American countries specifically? Yeah, so the honest answer with America and Europe is that we don't know because the the contracts are confidential. We don't know what's in them. Um, So the European Commission has said that it it won't waive civil liability, but then it's thought that within the contracts, it it, it has an indemnity section, so it may have have given extra indemnity through that way. Um, I guess, I mean, I can't speak for Pfizer, so I don't know what their motivation is Mm. in in targeting Latin American governments. But but what what lawyers who've kind of looked at the contracts have told me is that it looks like they're trying to, to limit their risk. So Pfizer's already been given, or Pfizer and its partner BioNTech, have already been given $445 million, uh, from the German government to develop their vaccine. Mm-hmm. So they, they've had that money to develop it in the first place. And now they're trying to reduce the cost of paying out um, for legal problems that might arise as a result of it. So it looks like, from the lawyer's point of view, that this is just an effort to, to minimize its costs. And, and we understand, you know, we need to be frank about this. I mean, these are, this is a for-profit company. I mean, you know, we're not expecting these guys are going to give this stuff away. Although I guess the other side of that I saw from your reporting is that Pfizer's part of their defense to this anyway, is that, well, we're giving this, basically giving this at, 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 at cost. 
they seem to be suggesting that they're getting a reduced price than as to what the Americans or somebody else might pay for this. Uh, I don't know that there's any proof of that, but I guess you have to take them at their word on situations like that. But it, it, as I was reading your stuff, though, Madeline, it's oh, like if somebody has a bad credit rating and they want to go buy a house or a car, a bit, large purchase, I get it that they usually have to pay a penalty or a higher interest rate or something like that. Uh, but the South American countries uh, it, uh, all seem to be blanketed with this right now. And is it because they don't trust them? Is it because they don't think they can pay? Is they don't have the, the, the capital to be able to do that? Is, is, it, is it strictly a matter of trust here? Yeah, I guess it must be. I mean, again, I can't speak on behalf of Pfizer, but I think, I think it's about the power dynamic of a private com- company with a product that they know is life-saving and they know governments really, really want. So, you know, I guess if I was a private company with a responsibility, a legal responsibility to make profit for my shareholders, I would try and get the best uh, clauses that I could in those contracts and the clauses that would most minimize my risk and my costs. And so that's what Pfizer has been able to do with these Latin American governments. I, I, I understand that totally. If I was a shareholder, I'd be expecting that to, from the company that, in which I'd invested that they were going to do that. Uh, but at the same time, I'm getting the impression that they're doing this to the Latin American countries simply because they can. Yeah, indeed. So, I mean, that's why the Latin American government officials said they felt held, held to ransom in that they said during the negotiations, there was this kind of take it or leave it attitude. So Pfizer knows that its supply of vaccines, of doses is finite and that every country in the world nearly wants to be its customer so it can choose you know to give those doses to whoever will give it give it give it the best terms uh, so that's the way that it's operating i guess the broader the broader question of kind of global health bodies like the world health organization governments is whether we want that to be the case so do we want a world in which we let private pharmaceutical companies allocate where doses of vaccines go or do we want a situation where they're distributed equitably on the basis of need rather than the basis of cost or companies that have the biggest political clout? And there are quite well, quite good public health arguments for, for doing it equitably. So lots and lots of studies have showed that if we distribute the, the doses equitably, we can halve the number of deaths that we have globally from coronavirus during the pandemic. And that also... If we distribute inequitably, the global cost to the economy rises to something like seven trillion. So it, we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot by distributing inequitably. But historically, though, Madeline, isn't that the way that the, the drugs were distributed? Whether it was for polio, diphtheria, which is still ongoing, obviously, in, in some countries in, in Africa and in South America, uh, that it's, it's done by need. And, I, I, and and if the need is global in this situation here, I, it just it seems as if Pfizer's decided to use a different set of criteria now. In other words, uh, we want the money up front. We got you show us that you're going to be able to pay for this, or you're not going to get it. And I, I saw one of the phrases that uh, that we were talking about here was what they called vaccine apartheid, because uh, there are going to be some people that aren't going to be vaccinated as a result of this, because the government maybe just can't afford to. Yeah, that's correct. So the World Health Organization has set up COVAX with Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. And that's the organization in charge of trying to get some vaccines um, to give out to low and middle income countries. Um, And I think Canada's actually been sort of walloped in the press recently because it's decided to keep its share of COVAX vaccines. Though some people say, you know, this is what COVAX was set up for, that every country would put in money and then every country would get 
uh, a supply of vaccines at the same time when they became available. So we know that Pfizer has given 40 million doses to COVAX, but that's only 2% of its global supply. So, so it's giving some vaccines to this organization that will distribute them to the global south and to middle-income countries. But really, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it, that's a tiny amount compared to all the other doses that are mainly going to rich countries. Let's talk about the ramifications, if we could, about this. If, if in fact, there is going to be, you know, different levels here and this vaccine apartheid that some people are referring to. Uh, Prime Minister Johnson over in the UK and, of course, Prime Minister Trudeau here and others and President Biden now has joined the chorus of saying if we don't distribute this worldwide globally, especially to some of these countries, uh, the, the virus stays uh, because those people are not inoculated. More variants will come as a result of this and and we all suffer as a result because it's still going to be out there, vaccines notwithstanding. So there's a this, this is not just a financial situation. There are public health concerns about the ramifications of this too, I would think. Yeah, exactly. So if we have a situation where everyone in the West is vaccinated, but we still have health workers and the whole populations of the global South going unvaccinated, all that will happen is that, first of all, the economies of those countries will be even worse off. If even their doctors and nurses aren't inoculated, they really won't be able to treat people with coronavirus and control their pandemic. But also, it just means that there'll be more variant strains that will develop and the vaccines that we have in the West may not work. So we'll have to go back to tweaking those vaccines, remanufacturing them, getting the regulatory approvals, et cetera, et cetera. So it'll just delay and delay the pandemic. So the best public health argument is to, to vaccinate everyone, reduce transmission and slow transmission so we don't get these variants that spread. And one of the key questions that's going on at the moment is, so South Africa had bought lots of the AstraZeneca vaccine. The AstraZeneca vaccine has now shown to be much less effective on the, the variant that's predominant in South Africa. So South Africa is sitting on all these AstraZeneca vaccines, which it can't really use. They expire in April. So they're donating them to other countries across Africa. Pfizer's doing a study at the moment to look at whether its vaccine uh, will work against the, the variant in South Africa. If it does show to work, it would be a really, really awful situation if those Pfizer vaccines that are effective against the South Africa strain are only used on people in the US, in, the, in Europe, in the UK, rather than the people who need them the most. So I think, you know, what everyone is, what is watching for at the moment is, are we going to see vaccines distributed to the countries where they're most efficacious against those strains, or are we just going to continue to see this kind of bun fight for whichever rich countries can pay the most or, or make the most demands will get those vaccines? Well, because I know there was some pushback when Canada ordered all of those vaccines. I mean, you know, the, the Prime Minister was bragging about the fact that they did more per capita than any other country in the world. And I know the Canadian government was accused of hoarding at the time. And, and, and there was some response to that in some of these South American countries that, you know, where, where's our share going to be? Uh, but there's a, a duty and a responsibility, I would think, for some of the, the more wealthy nations uh, to look at a problem like this. I mean, is, is there any governing body, anybody that can step in and say, wait a second here, we this is not fair? Or is, is five are just going to be allowed to do this as long as, as you know their lawyers are better than the lawyers of the countries that they're trying to get the deals with yeah i mean the world health organization has been repeatedly calling for either the manufacturers like Pfizer to donate a small proportion of their supply each month to covax or for countries 
uh, after all their health workers are vaccinated to start donating doses on a rolling basis to the global south. Um, so far, lots of countries, including Canada, have made public promises that they'll donate. But the problem is, is we just don't have a timetable yet. And I think while Canada has ordered um, enough vaccines for more than five times its population, they're not actually, you know, sitting in a warehouse somewhere. Uh, they're not there yet. So, so we know that these vaccines are coming in the pipeline. But until I think the Canadian government can see that, that all of Canadians have been vaccinated and they're not putting a, a date on when they'll start donating. The only country that's agreed and started donating so far is Norway. So we've had promises from the US, France. In France, Macron has said they'll start donating 5% of their vaccines each month quite soon. But other than that, it is at the moment promises. So what I think we'd like to see going forward is actual plans with actual dates on when these vaccines will begin to be donated. Absolutely. Uh, Madeline, great reporting on this. Thank you so much for the great work that, uh, that you and your staff are doing over there. And a uh, very, very important story. And I think we really need to keep our eyes on this and just see how this develops. And uh, thank you, most of all, for the time today. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to speak to you. Take care. Madeline Davies, uh, Chief Global Health Correspondent uh, with uh, Stat News over in the UK. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.